You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church, located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Mountain View. And if this is your first time, welcome. We are really, really glad you joined us for worship this morning. Please fill out a connection card and let us know you were here and take it to someone out at the uh, connection desk on the porch after the service, and they'll give you a gift bag. It's just our way of saying thanks for being here. I also want to personally put in a plug for the movie that we're going to be screening here on Saturday, October 1st, about... Phyllis Sorter's uh, kidnapping and release and the results that came from that. Uh, Rel and Carol uh, were the ones who turned me on to this particular documentary through the book on which it's based. They gave me a copy of it. I think I read it in about three days. It was and is a page turner. And I think you will be truly blessed and encouraged if you come on Saturday, October 1st at 6 p.m. In fact, one of the board members from her organization, Schools for Africa, is flying in from Seattle, Washington to join us that night uh, for the screening of the film and for a Q&A. So I think we're going to have a great, great time together. There are invitations out in the Connection Center Please take a handful and invite some folks from other churches, perhaps even some unbelievers to come uh, who may benefit from hearing her story. I'm truly, truly excited about hosting that here in just a few weeks. All right, we are in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be talking about the fourth of the ten words this morning. And I've got a confession to make to you. I have a hard time resting. If anyone needs the invitation at the heart of the fourth word, it is me. Maybe you can identify with that. The fourth word is the longest of the Ten Commandments. Strange fact, if you were to put all ten of the commandments into a pie chart... The fourth commandment would take up about 37% of the entire pie. It is the most repeated of the ten in the Old Testament, and it is without a doubt the most debated of the ten in the history of the church. There has been little to no controversy surrounding the other nine, Little to no question or confusion as to whether or not we should be worshiping other gods or stealing from other people or murdering them. But much ink has been spilled regarding whether or not we as Christians are required to keep the Sabbath. Some say yes. Others say no. Some who say yes maintain that the Sabbath is still Saturday. Others who say yes argue that the Christian Sabbath is actually now Sunday. Jesus himself certainly kept the Sabbath, though not in many of the ways prescribed by the religious leaders of his day. Yet the Apostle Paul seemed to leave the whole issue up to individual conscience when he wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow... Of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. My aim this morning isn't to enter into the debates that have raged for centuries and will probably continue to do so. To be perfectly honest, I have not fully worked out my own view on the matter. 
Instead, my aim this morning is to drill down into the heart of the fourth word and to unearth the good that God has for us in the invitation to Sabbath and to encourage each of us to ask some key questions in response. What if in the fourth word, God God isn't so much giving us as followers of Christ a demand, but a gift. And what if we do ourselves a grave disservice when we ignore this gift and refuse to submit ourselves to God-designed rhythms of work and of rest? As we enter into the fourth commandment this morning, I invite you to pray with me that God will not only give us clarity, but that God will enable us wisdom as we not only seek to understand but apply the words we find here. But more important than that, that God through his spirit would make us into a Sabbath kind of people in Christ. Exodus chapter 20 Verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Heavenly Father, this morning I think, as we read these words in light of the coming of Christ who is the Lord of the Sabbath, that the fundamental invitation is clear. That ultimately, we are to come to him if we are going to experience and enjoy real rest. It is only in Christ, the one who invites us to rest in him, that we discover what true rest even is. And it's only in and through Christ that we can see clearly perhaps the wisdom in the fourth commandment, wisdom that often I ignore, and I would say probably many of my brothers and sisters do too. So God, I ask that you'd help us receive these words as your people this morning, ultimately as an invitation to find our rest in you, and to rest with you, and to anticipate the great day of rest. That's coming for all who are part of your family. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the first thing I want you to see in the text this morning is the simple fact that the king himself rests. Fundamentally, this is not first and foremost a command. It's actually an expose into the very character of God himself. The word Sabbath or Shabbat in Hebrew simply means to stop. And here in the fourth word, that's what God is calling his people to do in one day out of seven. Six days they're to work, and on the seventh they are to do no work. The seventh day is to be a different sort of day, a holy day. Now, don't allow the word holy to throw you off. Some of you may well have pictures of Sabbath keeping that revolve around getting dressed in your uncomfortable Sunday best and spending upwards of 12 hours in the church building and being told by your parents or your grandparents or your aunts or your uncles as a child that you can't run, play, fish, ride your bike, or otherwise have any fun on Sunday. God never intended the Sabbath to be a drudgery 
but a delight. As Jesus himself once said, the Sabbath day was created for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. It was given by God as a gift to serve and to benefit and to bless his people. In fact, that's what we're told right here in the text. In verse 11, in the last sentence, we're told that the Lord, what? Blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, the very idea of a set-apart day every week flows directly from the character of God himself. The text also says that over six days, God created everything, and on the seventh day, God stopped. Now, let's be clear. God did not rest because God was tired. God did not rest because his creative capacity had been exhausted. No, God rested because God was satisfied with all that God had made. Creation lacked nothing. And as God says, it was very good. And so God as creator entered into his creation as God the ruler and as a resting ruler God would delight in the world that he had made and in his relationship with human beings. You see, ultimately God's rest was and is the seventh day rest of a king who had brought beautiful order to his realm and who sat down upon his throne to govern his good, pleasing kingdom with sovereign wisdom, with faithful love, with overflowing delight, and with tender strength. When you think about God, do you think of God as a restful king? Do you think of him as the delighted, satisfied, and sovereign Lord of all creation? Do you think of him as the king who then offers his own rest as a gift to his creatures? As the king of rest, do you think of him as the only one capable of taking your own chaotic, restless life and bringing a delightful order to it as you submit yourself to him. You see, this is, this is the only thing that makes sense of Jesus' own invitation in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, what you and I need to understand is that to rest like the king, to receive the gift of Sabbath, requires that we first receive the gift of rest from the king. This rest is more than a promise of a trip to the Bahamas. It's more than a weekend outing on the lake. It is a promise of rest for our restless souls. It's the promise of rest that goes deep and deals not only with the symptoms of our restlessness, our overwork, our hurry, our busyness, and the anxiety that goes along with those things. Our inability to press pause 
our striving after the stuff of earth, our rushing to and fro, our eating on the run, our trying to squeeze rest from distractions and temporary pleasures. This is a rest that repairs the ruin in our hearts, that reconciles us to the king of rest and restores our broken relationship with him. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give this to you. Do you believe him when he says this? Have you taken Jesus up on his invitation? If not, why? He knows that your heart and mine are hungry for rest. Hungry for contentment. Hungry for the satisfaction of our souls. Hungry for a peace that the temporary pleasures of earth ultimately cannot provide. And he knows that you and I are searching far and wide for it. Some of us in this room have looked for it on white sand beaches and at the bottom of pill bottles. Some of us in this room have looked for it in six-figure incomes and brand new cars, in vacation homes and job changes, in daily Amazon deliveries and romantic relationships. How is that working for you? What if you could finally relinquish your striving? What if you could finally relinquish your fears over your finances, over your future, over your work, over the stability of your life? What if you could finally hand those over and place those things in the hands of the king who says, I know what rest really is. And if you allow me, I'll teach you. He says he'll do this. In fact, he says if we come alongside him and yoke ourselves to him, he will train us to rest. In the midst of a noisy, chaotic, fearful world that doesn't show any signs of slowing down anytime soon. This is what Jesus promises. And this was always the invitation at the heart of the fourth word. To enter into the very rest of the king himself. This is exactly what the king invites all of us to do through the fourth word. Did you know the fourth word is a remarkable thing? There is nothing quite like the fourth commandment in the ancient world. Think about this newly freed band of former slaves who received it at the foot of Mount Sinai. They would have had no category for a day off. None whatsoever. That may well be, in fact, why the commandment is so long. Because God had to offer some clarification to a people who wouldn't have understood. Hey, take a day off. What do you mean? Their former master <clears throat> was harsh, demanding, and exacting. But Yahweh is a different sort of king. Yahweh shares his rest with his servants. 
In fact, he wants his people to enjoy his rest. So what does he say to them? One day in seven, you are to stop. Stop for an entire day. Cease working and rest in the king's work. Rest in the fact that God is God and you are not and do not have to be. We're told here by God that his people are to remember this day. Now, we've heard that word before in the book of Exodus, and it is, in fact, a covenantal word. They are to set aside this day intentionally and rhythmically every week, and they are to put thought into what they do on this day. They are to literally put down whatever it is they are doing And they're to enter into the delight and the enjoyment of who God is, what he's done for them, and who he is to them. Now think about this too. The the regular interruption of the Sabbath was vitally important. It was a reminder to God's people in the midst of their own work that God's work mattered most. They weren't to stop when a job was complete. They weren't to stop when they felt like it. They weren't to stop when they got so bone tired that they couldn't go any longer. No. Every seventh day, they were to put down their tools, They were to leave this or that project unfinished and they were to enter into a defined period of remembering God. Of remembering that God is creator and sovereign sustainer of all that is. That he is the giver of all good gifts and we are but recipients. Of his goodness. And here's what I want us to ask ourselves this morning. This is what I've been asking myself this week. Even if keeping the Sabbath on Saturday or even Sunday isn't something we are required to do as followers of the Lord Jesus. Is it possible that the intentional rhythm of stopping our work to delight in God and to delight in God's generosity, is it possible that that could be good for our souls? Too many of us get our deepest sense of identity from our work. That is especially the case with us men. And we need to be reminded that we are not what we do. We are God's beloved children. And we are God's beloved children, not because we've done something to worm our way into his affections, but because he's given that to us as a gift through his son. Too many of us find our security in our work. Whether it's a feeling of purpose or accomplishment that results from it, or the financial stability we gain from it. And you and I need to be reminded That our security is never found in what we do, but in a sovereign father who cares for us. Too many of us are looking to our work 
to actually provide us a sense of joy, of rest, of contentment, and of satisfaction. And you and I need to be reminded that joy can only come from being intentionally and relationally connected to the God who delights in us and we in him. Too many of us, we wear our busyness like a badge of honor. As if the busier we are, the more important and essential we are. And you and I need to be reminded that we are neither as important or as essential as we think we are. If we stop, the world will go on without us. Let me say that again. Because the truth of the matter is, and my wife will attest to this, I need to hear this as much as you do. If we stop, the world will go on without us. Now to be fair, and this is something of a confession, I think this is one of the reasons we are afraid to stop. We don't want to face the fact that the world will go on without us. Oftentimes in the church, you and I exalt busyness by saying things like, well, the devil never takes a day off. Really? You're going to use that. And you're going to look to him as your example. I don't even think that justifies an answer. Too many of us could probably use a regular, rhythmic, intentional day built into our weeks when our work is interrupted. A day when we lay down our tools, when we shut the laptop, when we put the cell phone in a drawer or in the trash can. When we lock up the business, when we remind ourselves that God is our creator, that God is our sovereign sustainer, that God is the giver of all good gifts, and even at night when we lay our heads down on a pillow, he's working when we can't and are not. Do you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is the ability to understand and to live in line with the architecture of reality. As you and I think about the idea of Sabbath rest, what is the architecture of reality? A seven-day week built into the very fabric of creation itself, placed there by the Creator. Six days He worked, on the seventh He rested. Did you know that across planet Earth, all peoples in all places now operate according to a seven-day week? Other things have been tried. For instance, during the French Revolution, the godless revolutionaries of France tried to implement a 10-day work week to increase productivity, but it didn't work. It's as, it's as one person has said, if you go against the grain of reality, you'll get splinters. 
As we think about the underlying architecture of the universe, regardless of whether or not Sabbath is a requirement, could embracing Sabbath rest as a one day in seven discipline do our bodies good and our hearts good? If you and I learn to receive it as an opportunity to delight in God and to enjoy his gifts. To cease working so that we can be reminded of his work. Now as I said in the beginning, I haven't fully worked out my answer to this question yet, but I'm beginning to think so. Though I also have to admit that I only have a vague idea of what this might even look like. I only know this. The Lord Jesus is inviting you and me into a relationship of rest with him. In the midst of our everyday lives, and many of us, including myself, are not experiencing the deep rest that he offers. Though you and I do claim to be walking with him, though we do claim to be yoked up with him, why is this? Certainly this means something is off. Can we agree upon that? And I wonder whether or not part of the problem lies in our refusal to embrace regular rhythms of work and rest, rhythms that are literally baked into creation. When you go against the grain of reality, you get splinters. So the king rests. The king invites us to rest. The king also invites us to share his rest with others. Have you ever noticed that the Sabbath command isn't only a command to rest, but a command to make sure that others can rest too? Look at what God says. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. In other words, this command is incredibly relational. God never intended that some of his people experience Sabbath rest while others work their fingers to the bone in order to make that rest possible. No, the Sabbath was for everyone, including the farm animals who plowed the fields. In that sense, Sabbath was the great equalizer. The weekly reminder that God intended everyone from least to greatest, from youngest to oldest, to enter into his joy. Each member of the covenant community was to ensure that every other member of the covenant community had the opportunity every single week to stop and to delight in God and to delight in God's good provision. Fundamentally, this served to remind God's people that other people did not exist to serve them, but to serve God. I wonder if our relationships wouldn't also benefit 
from a healthy dose of Sabbath rest. How often do you and I treat other people as a means to get done what we want to get done when we want to get it done or as an inconvenience in the way of what we want to get done? How often do we assume that others are there to make our lives easier or more convenient? How often in our hurry, in our busyness, in our overwork, do you and I just simply ignore the fact that other people have been placed around us that we might love and serve them, not that we might use them for our own fleshly purposes. And what happens to us when we do this? It's very easy to miss the fact that when you and I refuse to stop, our refusal to stop often causes collateral damage that we may never have intended. I read an anonymous quote recently, and it really stuck with me. It goes like this. Dads have too many tomorrows. Dads have too many tomorrows. Dads, how many of us? Notice I said us. How many of us see our children and their desire for our attention and our affection as obstacles to our agendas as interruptions to our important tasks. How many of us are putting off time with our kids because of the things we think we have to get done today further deeper down into the well because we think we are just too important and too essential to the running of the world that we cannot stop. Maybe you and I could use a healthy dose of Sabbath rest. Look, here's the reality. You ready? You and I will never get it all done. In fact, you and I will die with things left undone. You and I will never be informed enough It simply is not possible to know everything that there is to know about everything. You and I will never be wealthy enough. We will never be successful enough. We will never accomplish enough. The writer of Ecclesiastes writes in chapter 1, verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. If you and I live in such a way that we are expecting our work or the temporary pleasures of this earth, to fulfill the deepest desires of our hearts for contentment, for peace, for joy, for delight, for rest. You and I are going to be looking a long time in a lot of different places. And we're going to come up empty every All too often and all too easily, our drive to get more done so that we can quiet this inner voice that tells us we're not doing enough, it lures us away 
from actually being with God and being with other people. So often in Christian vocational ministry, people like myself can mistake doing things for God for actually being with God. And that is completely unhealthy. Relationships require restful soil if they're going to grow. Whether that be our relationship with God or our relationships with others. If you and I are not setting aside intentional time to simply be with God, to to simply be with one another, how are we ever going to grow to delight in God or to delight in the gifts that God has given us in one another? How are we ever going to arrive at a place where God is anything more to us than a heavenly butler? How are we ever going to arrive at a place where others are more to us than personal assistance or obstacles in our way. This is the invitation and the gift of Sabbath rest. Of stopping long enough to love. And it cannot be microwave. The king rests. The king invites us into his rest. The king invites us to share his rest with others. And here's our great hope as we learn to rest with him. He is indeed preparing a place of rest for us. Sabbath ultimately reorients us toward eternity. Vacations are wonderful. Our family is taking one in October, and all of us are counting down the days. But as wonderful as they are, you and I both know that there is always work to return to post-vacation, and very often more of it than we left behind. Right? the observance of weekly Sabbath would have been no different for ancient Israel. There was always work to return to after each and every seventh day. It is no different for us in the Christian life, putting sin to death and growing our faith in Christ requires a partnership between the Spirit and between us as we seek with effort to follow after Jesus. In some sense, then, we will not rest until that great and final day of rest. But it would not and will not always be so. You see, God intended Sabbath rest to regularly reorient the hearts of his people to a coming day when all of their work would be done at last. And God would restore both creation and his people to his creation intention for them. Jesus the covenant-keeping son anticipated this day every time he healed on the Sabbath. Now, every time he did so, he courted trouble with the religious elites of his day by flouting their man-made Sabbath rules. But what you and I have to realize is that through his Sabbath healings, he was actually embodying the heart of the commandment, and the future orientation of the commandment. 
by helping us to see that great and final and ultimate Sabbath rest is only found in and through the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, Jesus calling himself the Lord of the Sabbath signifies again to us that he is the king of rest. He is the one who will ultimately usher in God's final rest, that great day when everything sad will come untrue and God's world will finally be rid of the filth and the slavery of sin and Satan and all of his demonic host. In the meantime, you and I, we, we wait well, by learning to rest in and with our king, to pause and to delight in him and his gifts, to pause and to remember that my work in the grand scheme of things amounts to very little. It is God's work that really matters. To pause. And to turn my heart to God and ultimately to find my peace, hope, contentment, joy, and rest in him. To pause and to turn my face this way and that and to see who has God placed around me that we might truly enter into deep fellowship with one another. To pause. And to say each and every time I do, Lord Jesus, you say that if I will abide in you, you will teach me how to rest. How to stop. How to lay my work at your feet. And how to do it. In the midst of a busy, restless, discontent, dissatisfied, ungrateful culture that foolishly thinks a long weekend is what God means by a Sabbath. If we're all being honest, you and I have to say that life today looks a whole lot more like the never-ending work of Egypt than it does the rest, the joy, and the genuine refreshment of Eden. How's that working for us? It's not. The fourth invitation is, the fourth word is an invitation into a different sort of life. In fact, it's an invitation to become a different sort of people, a restful people, as you and I walk with the king of rest. In the end, the point isn't the day. Though I am beginning to think there is an argument from wisdom to be made for setting aside a day each week. The point is the thing to which the Sabbath points. Our forever future with the King of Rest. May you and I See regular rhythms of work and rest as one of our God's gracious tools for preparing us for that future. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to explore the fourth commandment this morning. God, as we have done with the prior three, I ask this morning 
that you would help us to see first and foremost your heart in it. In fact, your heart for us. The very heart of King Jesus which here behind the scenes in the fourth commandment is simply saying, come to me and I will give you rest. In fact, that is no less a commandment than the fourth commandment. The simple question is, are we willing to believe you When you say, come to me, and I will give you rest. Are we willing to submit to you as not only the smartest person in the room, but the smartest person in the universe? Are we willing to submit ourselves to you if you say, come to me and I will give you rest? Are we willing to follow through on that? God, I have to imagine that there are people here this morning who are looking for rest for their restless souls in all kinds of different ways. I have to imagine there are people here this morning who are pushing and pushing and pushing, and they're actually excusing their overwork because they're doing good things. But they're doing those good things in their flesh, and they're doing those good things to make sure that if they stop, they don't. They don't feel like failures. Their hearts don't fall apart. God, ultimately, they're not resting in you. This this is as true for me as it is for anyone. God, I pray that you'll help us repent this morning. And for that one here who is lost, that one who has no rest whatsoever. That one who is anxiously striving after the good life. Oh, Father, may they hear the invitation of King Jesus to lay it all down and to find rest for their souls in him. May we all hear the invitation of this song we are about to sing together and may we truly come to you this morning. It is in the name of Jesus, the King of rest, we pray. Amen.